We bless you this morning in this house, God. Be lifted up, God. Speak to us through your word, God. You said faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we hear your word this morning. Strengthen our faith in Jesus' name. I want you, if you would, to open with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read, for, for, for now, we're going to read verses 6 through 8. You can keep your spot here because we're going to read quite a bit of this chapter and of this account. Matthew 26, verse 6. Now when Jesus was in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box, a very precious ointment, and poured it on his head as he sat at meat. But when the, his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, To what purpose is this waste? We're going to stop right there. I want to read a couple more because this, this account is given in other Gospels as well. <clears throat> I know of Mark and Luke and I believe in John as well, but I want to read from Mark chapter 14, verses 4 and 5, if you're taking notes. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And John, John's account in, in chapter 12, then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Now, I've actually preached on this, this account of the woman with the alabaster box very recently, I would say within the last few months, and I've heard many sermons on it, wonderful messages by others as well. And uh, as I've preached and I've heard messages on this uh, wonderful account, it's been so glorious and so convicting at the same time. It's so glorious, the worship of the woman, so convicting when I see, uh, I would say, the hypocrisy and the hard-heartedness of those sitting around the table, them not understanding, them not entering into worship uh, when they could have and should have. But typically, you know, on this, this message on the woman with the alabaster box who worships at the feet of Jesus, the focus typically has been the woman and her, her gratitude of worship to the Lord. I've also uh, seen the focus from this passage be on Simon and those who were sitting around the table with Simon who watched all of this unfold, who watched the woman pour the ointment upon Jesus and weep at his feet and wash his feet with her tears. And, and the people that were sitting around, including Simon, they didn't like it. They didn't necessarily voice all of their displeasure, but... Uh, some did, but they didn't like it. Honestly, they didn't, they didn't like it. They thought it was inappropriate. If you read through the gospel accounts, you'll see they thought it was inappropriate. They thought that Jesus shouldn't have allowed it. If Jesus had known what type of woman this was that was touching him, he should have stopped it. If, he, if he'd have known the type of woman because she was a sinner, we say we're all sinners, all sitting around the table with Jesus are sinners, all but Jesus are sinners, including myself and the woman. But she was known as a sinner. She was what the, uh, the scripture calls a notable sinner. She was known for her sin. Everybody knew the type of immoral moral lifestyle that she lived. And the people that were sitting there with Jesus that invited him to come eat in the house, they didn't like it. They thought it was inappropriate and that Jesus should not 
have allowed it. So we've heard messages, and I've preached it myself, and we need to, 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 to point out the hypocrisy and the pride and the cold-heartedness of those that sat at the dinner table with our Lord. Uh, and then we read how he dealt with them about it. As I said, it's glorious and convicting at the same time. I just want to read this and then we're going to move on. I'm reading from Luke chapter 7. This is the, this, the most detailed account of, of this woman with her, her alabaster box is in Luke. So I'm going to read from chapter 7, starting in verse 44. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon. So he turns to the woman who's still worshiping at his feet, but he speaks to Simon. And he says, Simon, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time that I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil, thou didst not anoint. But this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. All I can pray from that is, is I, it, I turn quickly from thinking about Simon and, and, and his cold-heartedness, if you want to call it that, or lack of de a devotion displayed to the Lord. I need to hear it. I need to hear what Jesus said to Simon. Uh, I need this sermon. I need it in my own life. But what the Lord would have us to look at this morning is I was just praying and he began to reveal something else to me about this passage. That when, when we read it we, see it, that we see it's not only that Simon the leper, and evidently this is whose house Jesus was eating dinner at when all this took place. Obviously, this is a leper named Simon that Jesus had healed at some point in Bethany. And he, it was not just Simon the leper that was displeased or murmured, or the Pharisees that were sitting around, because some of the other Gospels say that the, the, the Pharisees and elders were sitting there as well. It wasn't just these that murmured against the Lord. We read it in our first passage in Matthew chapter 26, his own disciples and, and when I, I didn't really think of it. I always think about Simon and I think of the maybe the cold and stoic. You would picture them uh, hypocrites sitting around the, the table and maybe they're acting hypocritically at this time anyway. And but it was his own disciples that murmured against their Lord, against Jesus, not necessarily for the same reason as the others did. But I want us to look at this again. We read Matthew 26, 6 through 8. And I want to read 8 and 9. Matthew 26, 8 and 9. When his disciples saw it, they had indignation, saying, to what purpose is this waste? For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And so I looked up a few of these words here. Indignation. It says that the, the disciples, Jesus' own disciples, had indignation. Indignation means they were sore displeased. They weren't just a little bothered by it and let it go and were over it in a few seconds. They were sore displeased. That's what indignation means. They had grief. And so it wasn't just the hard-hearted, what we would call, 
so often we do, the hard-hearted Pharisees. Now, I just don't, I'm not going to take a lot of time, but just a moment to say this. A lot of times when we, we can use the Pharisees as a scapegoat. We can look at the Pharisees and say, hypocrites, because Jesus called them, for the most part, hypocrites. Not every single Pharisee, but the Pharisees at large, as a whole in Jesus' day. He called them whitewashed sepulchres or tombs. They were outwardly pretty and garnished, but inwardly were full of dead men's bones. They were hypocrites. They would tell people what to do and they themselves would not do it and weren't devoted to the Lord. So we know that, we understand that. But the Pharisees, it almost has become a term even in our day that any, any we would compare ourselves to others maybe in the church and say, at least I'm not a Pharisee. And what it does, we use it, we can use it as a way to deflect from our own hypocrisy, our own sin, our own lust, our own um, cold-heartedness towards the Lord. And we need to be careful not to do that. God hasn't given us the Pharisees for a scapegoat. He tells us to look at our own hearts. He tells us if we would tells us if we would judge our own lives, then we wouldn't be judged. Paul tells the Corinthians we wouldn't have to be judged because we'd constantly be examining ourselves in the light of the Word and by the, uh, being receptive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and bringing our own sin and shortcomings under the blood of Jesus, confessing them before the Lord and being cleansed and saying, "God, change me." We ought to live that way rather than saying, "At least I'm not a Pharisee." At least I'm not like Simon and those sitting at the table. And, and so when I hear something like this, I say, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. Lord, help me. I don't want to use the Pharisees or anyone else's sin as a, a way to def deflect from my own lack in, uh, of love or whatever it may be. So I just wanted to mention this. So this, y'all, it was not just Simon and the Pharisees. This was Jesus' own Disciples. Now think about it. This is Peter. This is John. This is James. This is Nathaniel. This was people, the disciples who had, as Jesus said, these are they that have continued with me a long time. Because this was right before Jesus went to the cross, or very soon before he died on the cross. So that means probably about three and a half years these disciples had been with the Lord. And the point of that being that they knew the Lord. And they had seen him do miracles. They had been used themselves and empowered by the Lord to do miracles. And had heard his gracious teachings and the truth that he preached and ministered. And yet they were murmuring against the Lord. Not just Judas Iscariot. He spoke up and we read that. Not just Simon, not the Pharisees only. But all of Jesus' own followers had indignation. They had indignation against the woman, the Bible tells us. And they had indignation against her gift or the ointment that was poured out to the Lord. And they had indignation, I believe, against Jesus himself for allowing it all, for allowing this to go on. They were sore displeased. And here's what we're going to talk about this morning. They were sore displeased at what they called waste. This was a waste of the expensive ointment the costly ointment. And actually what it was, she carried it in a very uh, a valuable or precious container, this alabaster box. And in it was this ointment, the Bible says. But I looked it up. It's actually, it was a perfumed oil. It was a perfumed oil. So it would have a fragrance to it that was beautiful and wonderful. And 
or myrrh is another definition for it. But in their estimation, again, not just the hypocritical, cold-hearted Pharisees, his own disciples, in their estimation, it was wasted. What was in that alabaster box, that precious, costly ointment, in their estimation, was wasted. It was just poured out all at once. It could have been, I'm saying in their minds, it could have been and should have been used in a much wiser way. It could have and should have been used in a more reasonable way, a more efficient way, a more sensible way. It could have been sold, with the Bible tells us, for 300 pence and given to the poor. So what is 300 pence to us? 300 pence was the, was the average of a person's 300 days wages. That's a lot. 365 days in a year. And 300 pence is what an average person would earn in 300 days. I would say it's very costly. I would say it was very expensive what was contained in that alabaster box. And in their minds, at least at this moment, and they murmured against the woman and her gift and against the Lord. It was a complete waste to pour the whole box on Jesus' head, basically at one time, and at the dinner table. We're just sitting at dinner, and, and there's $300 wages poured out on the Lord at one moment. And I would say, God forgive me for such a thought. If I could sum up the sermon, I'm going to sum it up before we're, we're halfway through. But if I could sum up this sermon, I'm summing it up right here. And this is all we're going to talk about this morning. This is all the Lord was impressed upon me. Forgive me for such a thought. God Almighty, nothing that is given to Jesus Christ is a waste. Nothing that is done for the Lord is a waste. He tells us if we give a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple only, we're not going to lose our reward. I want you to keep reading with me in the same account in Matthew 26. Look at verse 9. We'll read 9 through 13. For this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. It might have been. When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial of her. I want to read this from Mark. You don't have to turn there. Mark 14, 6. And Jesus said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. You know what the Lord is saying? Leave her alone. Leave her alone. Why are you troubling her? She didn't waste it. She used it. She used that expensive ointment, every drop of it. For the greatest purpose it could be used for. For the greatest glory possible. There's no higher purpose. There's no higher use for this expensive perfume. She has wrought a good work upon me, the Lord said. 
Nothing poured out upon the Lord is a waste. Hear what I'm saying this morning. No gift, no sacrifice, no worship, no song, no hours or days or weeks or years spent serving God, no thanksgiving to the Lord, no effort and energy and strength that's poured upon Jesus is ever a waste, no matter how costly. It's never overdoing it. It's never extravagant. It's never too much. It's never a waste. That word waste means a ruin, a loss. That's what it means. The, the disciples had indignation. His own disciples that had been with him roughly three and a half years. They said, to what purpose is this waste? It's a waste. It just poured out on their head at one sitting at the table. Waste means a ruin or a loss. It means perish. It means destruction. It means damnable. That's what the literal word means for waste in this context. Can I tell you this morning and I pray God to speak to my own heart? It's not a waste. It's not a ruin. It's not a loss to give all to Christ. In fact, pouring out all upon the Lord is the best possible use of that ointment. Pouring all upon the Lord Jesus Christ is the best possible use of the gift that we have to give. It's the best possible gift of our money, but best possible use of our money. Pouring all upon Christ is the best possible use of my life and your life. And I would tell you this morning, I'm preaching to myself, give it all. Give it all. Use it up for the glory of God. Use it up for God. Paul said, I will gladly. This is Paul after he was Saul and became Paul once he got born again. He got saved on the road to Damascus and called to be an apostle for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, I will gladly spend and be spent for the, for the glory of God. Now, I'll say this. We're not to be unwise with what we have. Certainly we're called, and the Scripture tells us we're to be good stewards of what the Lord has given us and blessed us with on this earth. But what I am saying here this morning is that it's not a waste to give all to Jesus. It's not a ruin. It's not a loss. It hasn't perished. Think about it. What, what am I saving it for? What am I saving it for? Am I saving it for myself? Am I saving it for what I think is a greater purpose than to use it for God? Can we think of some higher use or higher purpose for our lives than to live for God fully? Can I think of some higher purpose uh, or something to do with my, my possessions or finances than for the service of the Lord? Can I think of some higher, more glorious use of my time or my worship or my energy than for it to be all poured out upon Jesus? The Lord says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. She has wrought a good work upon me. Upon me. I want to read this from Mark 14, 7 and 8. 
For you have the poor with you always, Jesus said. And whensoever you will, you may do, do them good. But me you have not always. She had done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body to the burying. That's what it says in Mark. And I was thinking about this as well. You know, it's just a fact. As long as we live this earthly life on this earth as believers, we're going to have the poor with us. The Bible tells us that. The Lord said, you're going to have the poor with you always. There are always going to be poor people around us in need. Always. It's not going to be fixed by government or some charity. We're going to always have the poor with us. He says, you can do good to them whenever you desire to. And guess what? We should. And God will certainly lead us in that. Amen? He'll lead us out in how to give alms and how to help and, and give to the poor. And we should do that. The Lord will direct us in doing that. But Jesus said of the woman and that was at his feet. Remember, she's, she's weeping and worshiping at the feet of Jesus. He said of her, she had done what she could. What, what does that mean? She's done what she could. And I thought about this pouring out. This act of pouring out the contents of her alabaster box. Very costly and very expensive. Upon Jesus all at once. And washing his feet with her tears. And wiping his feet and drying them off with the hairs of her head. And kissing his feet. She did what she could. You know what that means to me? She could do what she did. And she did what she could do. She did what she could. She didn't ration her worship. This is what I begin to think. Her, her gift. She didn't ration out her tears and say, I'll save some for later. She didn't quantify her act of worship. In other words, the woman's not saying, I think I can reasonably and safely pour about a quarter of this onto Jesus' head this time. I don't want to waste it all at once. She didn't do that. She poured it all out. She poured it all out. Christ the Lord, the eternal Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the living God, the living Word, was right there before her. She did what she could. And listen, y'all, she did what she could while she could. She did what she could when she could. And this is where I began to be convicted, among a thousand other things, how often do we, or how often do I hold back? How often do I reserve? Okay, I'm, I'm wise and I'm, I'm intelligent and I want to be wise with my time and wise with my uh, energy and wise with my finances and so forth. And I hold back or I hold on to a portion of what should be freely poured out upon Jesus. I reserve it. I hold it back. I'll lift my hands this much. I'll lift my hands for this long. I'll sing this loud, but I don't want to make a commotion and draw attention to myself. So I'll only sing this loud instead of shouting at the top of my lungs, glory to God in the highest. I'll give this much because I need to save some for a rainy day. I'll help this much, the church or, or whatever's going on. I'll help this much. But I'm going to reserve, I'm going to hold back Maybe for later. I don't want to use it all up right now 
Again, we have to be good stewards. We answer to God for that. I understand that. But we ought not hold back anything that ought to be freely given to God. Jesus said when he empowered his disciples, they didn't have the power before. But he empowered them and said, I've given you power on unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal the sick and to go in and preach the gospel. Freely you have received. Freely give. Paul says, what do you have that you didn't receive? It all comes from God. What am I holding it back for? She did, this woman, she did what she could when she had the opportunity. She poured all of the costly perfume upon the Lord Jesus and she did it when she could. She didn't wait too long, so to speak. She didn't wait till the opportunity had passed. She did it then. I need to, y'all. And again, this is the sermon in a nutshell. We're not going to be actually much longer. I pray we lay hold on what God has for us. We need to, and I need to, do all the good we can do today. Hear what I'm saying. Do everything good you can do for the Lord today. In the sense of do it all for the Lord while you're living on this earth. Do for God while you can do for God. We may be with the Lord in glory by this time tomorrow. We might be raptured. Hallelujah. I look forward to it. It's a blessed hope of the church. But after the rapture, I won't be able to help the poor. After the rapture, I won't be able to witness to a lost person. After the rapture, there's many things we can do now that we won't be able to do there. And we need to do all the good we can do for the Lord while we can do it. Pour out your life to Him. What are we saving it for? Are we afraid? Are we afraid that we'll run out of something? The Bible said He gives more grace. Are we afraid we'll run out of strength? He, he gives us a new touch and a new feeling. Are we afraid we'll, we'll run out of of food to eat. He gives us our daily bread. He is our provider. By faith we need to walk that out and believe it. Pour out your life to Him today. I want to keep reading in verse 12. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. That's really something, y'all. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. People don't anoint bodies before they die. They anoint bodies and prepare them after they die, and they're putting him in the tomb or the grave. But this was prophetic. This was a symbolic. This was a fulfillment of something that had to be fulfilled. She anointed Jesus' body beforehand, before his burial. And I just think this is an interesting thought. Think about it. On the resurrection morning, we just celebrated Easter last week, one week ago. Glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But on the resurrection morning, after Jesus died and rose again, it says that very early in the morning, in Mark 16, you can read the account that the women and their names are listed there. It says they bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. But guess what? When they arrived at the tomb, he was gone. They didn't have that opportunity. Now something glorious had happened. Hallelujah. Jesus was risen from the dead. And they were the ones to receive that good news. The angels told them, why do you seek the living in the, among the dead? He's not here. He's risen like he told you. And he's gone into Galilee. 
Amen? You tell his disciples that that's where I'm going. And so, but, but y'all, just in a simple, practical way, they went, and when they went to anoint his body with sweet spices that they had bought, it was too late. He was gone. His body wasn't there. But this woman in Simon's house, she didn't miss her opportunity, did she? She didn't miss her opportunity. And we're going to close with this thought in verse 13. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole earth. Now think about the significance of what he's saying. He doesn't say this about every account of every blessed thing that, that takes place in his lifetime in the New Testament. Wherever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, be told for a memorial for her. Memorial means a record or a reminder. We have the record in the four gospels, but I tell you what, I need a reminder every day. I need a reminder of the truth of this sermon in this thought of this woman every day. Why? Why would the Lord magnify this event to this extent? What, what I mean, it was wonderful, but why would he magnify it? To this extent, it says, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, this is going to be for a record, a reminder, a memorial for her. I don't believe it's simply because it was a moving, touching incident, which it was, in this glorious act of worship. But I believe that in that act of worship, this woman in a very practical, to me it's very practical, in a very practical way, of her pouring out the contents and worshiping the feet of Jesus as she did. She fulfilled in that moment or typified or exemplified what this gospel is all about. Wherever the gospel is preached, what she did is going to be given as a memorial for her. Why? Because her life and her act of worship in that snapshot, if you want to, that scene, that picture was the gospel in a nutshell. To, to me, it was the gospel of, uh, it, it, it's the transformed life. In other words, she was a product of the gospel. She was a result of the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was a transformed life. And she typified what ought to come back out of a life that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus, a life that has been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll read this again. Jesus said, her sins, which are many. This is his lesson to Simon. Lord, let it be a lesson to me. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And then the Lord turns to her and says, Thy sins are forgiven thee. Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. She was, a, she was a product. She was a fruit of salvation. She was a fruit of the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was a fruit of a sinner who came and had her sins forgiven and cleansed. Woman, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved thee. Go in peace. And in that act of worship, 
She's typifying to me what the gospel should produce in the life of everyone who believes it. That's why it's a memorial or a record for the woman. Oh, believer, it's not a waste at all. It's not a waste at all. It's the best use. It's the best purpose of all. One day, I would say perhaps very soon, y'all, we we're going to stand before the Lord. You know, we're living in the days that we could very well see the, the rapture. Amen. That could have been any time from the resurrection of Jesus. But we might very soon be standing before the Lord and there is a judgment for believers, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, where we'll stand and we'll be judged not for our salvation, not for sins. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus and, and justified fully and we're, we're going to heaven. But we'll be judged based on our works, the works that we did in our body as a saved man. We're going to have to answer questions and it could be very soon. You realize we could be raptured in the next moment. And then very shortly after that, stand before the Lord at a judgment seat. And we'll give account of our saved lives and what we did with it. And I believe I'm going to have to answer, and you are too, questions such as this. Randy, what did you do with your time? What did you use it for? Randy, what, what did you use your money for? that I blessed you with? Randy, I made you pretty healthy and strong. What did you use your, your strength for? What did you pour your love out upon? Randy, what, what did you use that safe life that I saved you for? What did you use your life for after I saved you? And I kind of liken it to Adam in the garden. The Lord knew where Adam was, but he says, Adam, where are you? The Lord knows. He wants us to know. Oh, I honestly want to say at that moment, church, I honestly want to be able to say, Lord, what did I use it for? I used it all for Jesus. I used it all, every bit of it, for my Redeemer. You've forgiven me much, Lord, and, and I love you much. I want to be able to say honestly, Lord, I poured it all out, every bit of it. Every bit of my expensive perfume. I poured it out on you. Can I tell you this morning, church, that it's not wasted? It's not wasted when it's all given to the Lord. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But life, he said first, for me to live is Christ. I'm closing with this quote. Jim Elliott, the young missionary that was martyred for the Lord, martyred by the very ones he went to bring the gift of eternal life through, through the gospel in Ecuador, those he went to bring the gospel to before he had a chance to build a ministry along with others that were martyred with him. One of the quotes he had spoken before this time he was martyred for the Lord, he said, and you've probably heard it before, Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That woman didn't waste that ointment. 
Oh, they were so indignant. She didn't, she didn't waste it. Leave her alone. She's wrought a good work upon me. It's not a waste. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad it's not a waste? To just pour it out. Church, pour out your life and all that your life entails and contains. Use it up for the glory of God. Lord Jesus, we just come before you this morning. Father, I'm convicted. Oh, I'm convicted, Lord, by the, the message and all these gospel accounts. Lord, not just the hard-hearted Pharisees. They're so easy to pick on. I'm convicted by my own hard heart. I'm convicted. Perish the thought, Lord, where I have thought it's wasted. I'm going to save some. I'm going to ration out my worship to the Lord. I don't want to use it all up once, all at this time. But Lord, help me to pour it out. Pour out my life, all my energy, my strength, my love, my worship, devotion, my praise, whatever you have given me. What do I have that I didn't receive from you? I want to give it back to you and I want to give it, I want to give it all back to you. And I want to do it not grudgingly. Father, help us, God. There's such a joy in that. There's such a freedom in that. Lord, forgive me for not giving fully to you at every moment. Lord, help us to do good while we can do good, while we have the opportunity. We love you and we praise you. Help us, God, and strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.